Hi, I'm Jason Nias from Digital River, an e-commerce and payments company dedicated to helping brands go global and grow their revenue. But this isn't about us. This is Commerce Connect, a podcast about people who are creating some of the best e-commerce experiences of our time. Listen on to hear from e-commerce visionaries as they look back on where they started, lessons they've learned, and what they believe will be the future of online shopping. Hi, this is Jason Nias with Digital River, and today I have the perfect guest with us to help set our sights on the opportunities ahead for 2022, as well as what we can learn from the past couple of years of rapid digital expansion. Uday Kotla is Vice President and Global Business Head of Emphasis Digital Experience. It's a role that puts him at the forefront of digital transformation for companies worldwide. With nearly two decades in the digital space, it's safe to say that Uday has seen a lot of digital transformation. Welcome, Uday. Thanks, uh, uh, Jason, for the invitation. Pleasure to be here and able to chat with you in terms of what experiences we had we can share here. So, Fantastic. And where does this podcast find you today? So, Jason, uh, I'm based out of Dallas, uh, which is where our company headquarters is. Um, but uh, I'm always there wherever the customer is, so uh, I can be uh, omnipresent. So. <laughs> I love it. Well, let's start with some background. Tell us a little bit more about your company, Infosys, and specifically your role at the company. Infosys is uh, a global GSI, a global service integrator, systems integrator. And uh, we have been um, doing this for almost uh, three to four decades or so, uh, transforming our clients in the cloud uh, journey, digital adoption, integration services, and, and broader um, you know, uh, application development and maintenance services. Uh, but uh, within the organization, um, I uh, oversee the digital experience practice, um, which is pretty much, I would say, all things uh, commerce, all things marketing, um, cloud adoption of the digital initiatives and mobility solutions. Uh, I'm based in the markets and I oversee the practice um, uh, globally. Uh, and uh, my responsibility is to uh, drive digital strategy and growth in all these markets. Uh, this includes the work we do in customer journey orchestrations, commerce transformations, digitization, back office as well. And, and quite cutting edge innovation sometimes in the AR VR space and including Meta, uh, all the way to the last mile in fulfillment. Uh, the buck stops with us for, for the distributors across the uh, organization. Fascinating. I love that you guys kind of serve the whole value chain of digital transformation. On this podcast, we, we usually have some very interesting guests and you're no exception who have a very broad background you started out uh, uh, with a degree in software engineering. Uh, how did that path take you from uh, where you began to where you are today? And, and what I really want you to spend some time talking about is your role being at a e-commerce platform to an agency to uh, uh, you know client side at House of Fraser and now leading digital transformation at Infosys. Can you take us on that journey and kind of share some of the learnings? Sure, absolutely. Um, and in fact, I'll try to keep it short, but uh, this is very uh, unique journey, at least I went through. I started my career, um, did my master's in, in software engineering in the University of Illinois, Chicago in Midwest. And when I came out um, to look for a job, I had an option to go work in product development firms like Motorola, um, but I was very much um, looking for initiatives which are customer facing. I wanted to be really in front of customers solving their problems. And hence I took a job uh, with a company called now CGI was known as American Management Systems. And I spent about two decades, two years or so, uh, two decades would be too long there, uh, two years or so in, in going through 
uh, quite a bit of uh, learning exercise in terms of the complexity of large uh, you know, systems, systems integration kind of work. But this is early 2000, I would say just when 2000 was um, hitting much before the bust, obviously. I, I had significant amount of my um, network of my friends from college in Bay Area, and I really wanted to be in the digital space. And what uh, started off as sell everything in my apartment, and I you know, took, put loaded stuff in my car, and I just head west, which is what I've done for three, for three days. And luckily, my, my boss was able to say, by the time I landed in West Coast, yes, you did not take my permission, but you can work from a West Coast office, which is really what has inspired in my life. And I was prepared that I'm going to get fired if in case he does not give me the transfer. Uh, with that's, that's my journey to digital. When I joined a company called um, uh, Razorfish now, uh, a lot of names went through, acquired by Publicis Group. Uh, but more importantly, you know, from, from a decade I spent in, in Bay Area, it was primarily you know, a combination of uh, interactive agencies as well as uh, dabbling with some startups. It, after a decade, I really uprooted myself from Bay Area and went all the way to India for family reasons. I had to relocate there. Uh, and the four or five years I spent in Infosys was by far the most enriching experience. Um, and in terms of the, the diversified customers I was working with, uh, the geolocations I was working with, and even though I was based in India, I was pretty much um, on the road across multiple uh, countries and geographies rather than being in India. And that journey was um, enriching in the sense we, we, I at least personally got a chance not just work with a set of customers in, in a set of just one or two industries. I worked across financial services, retail, uh, healthcare, uh, life sciences, and, and across North America, Europe, as well as APAC. So the, the experience for about you know year and a decade and a half really made me um, uh, look at uh, career opportunities, leaving the services side of things and 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 going to the market facing the other side of the table, which is where I relocated myself to Europe for a year and worked at House of Fraser as a CIO, and all the things which um, which I used to go and approach CIOs and and in terms of selling services, solutionizing, uh, and what are the problems we thought CIOs face was. Whole different, whole different story when I was sitting in that chair and it was really a hot chair. Uh, and that experience, even though it was brief, um, kind of made me realize that I really like to be in a much broader landscape of what I was doing. And hence, I relocated back to US and, and continued my journey on digital transformation with, uh, with emphasis. What a journey. You know, there's an, old, there's an old, I don't know if it's a fable or what, where people close their eyes and they walk up to an elephant and they all describe it because they feel a different part of the elephant. And um, I kind of feel like your background is really gives you the, a unique perspective. The fact that you were at a platform company, which was Kivo, uh, a digital agency, you were the CIO of a brand, and now you're monitoring and managing digital transformation. Like it is a very unique background and one that I think uh, I'm glad you spent us some time unpacking, uh, not to mention all the geography changes you've seen in your life. So thank you for taking us on that journey. Um, I would like to shift gears a little bit and kind of take us in the way back machine. Um, three years ago, we, we could have never imagined the speed at which e-commerce would grow. Um, I think it went from, you know, around 10% of all transactions uh, were done in e-commerce and now it's north of 20. It's almost a decade's worth of innovation in a, in a few short years, um, obviously fueled by the pandemic. So I'd love to know from you, how different some of your conversations are with clients 
today versus uh, kind of 2019? Has it has it fast forward thinking or, or what has changed? So uh, it's it's quite an interesting uh, experience in the last three years. Uh, being in this in, in in the space of digital transformation for uh, almost two decades, the if you look at the amount of conversations or in fact adoption of digital, um, even in the entire decade of 2000, oh, 2010 to nineteen, um, it was barely moved by a needle of ten points. But just within the last two to three years, um, it in in the span of six to nine months or a year, uh, we literally had seen um, double of the same growth, right? And it could be everywhere. It is all the way from uh, conversations. It's also in terms of uh, people uh, buying behavior. And the, and the fact that at least uh, customers were uh, fast forwarding the discussions, what used to be a seven month discussion cycle in terms of a transformation journey was almost six weeks. Let's get something up and running fast, right? Uh, so this is much, uh, uh, I would say, uh, uh, transformation in nature, right? And we had to adapt fast. And more importantly, you know, if you look at habits uh, and habits tend to be wired, if the pandemic was lasting six months to one year, it's one story. But when the pandemic is literally almost reaching an epidemic stage and three years, habits get rewired. And hence, as we see coming out of the pandemic and we see light at the end of the tunnel, and hopefully it's not the change from that direction, uh, we personally feel that um, the, the habits have been wired now to act and continue on that. Uh, and hence, we, we will see a, a much disruptive set of conversations in the space. Are there any things that stick out to you uh, that are, as you kind of go from meeting to meeting with tier one companies, are there patterns you're recognizing around, you know, the continued uh, investment in, in mobile or, you know, maybe the Apple changes around privacy with social or the need for brands to operate globally. Can you connect some dots for us on patterns you're seeing in some of the meetings you're in? Sure. I, I don't think we have seen yet, have, at least we at Infosys and I uh, going through the discussions have seen the Apple uh, you know, changes yet. And I expect that to happen in the next couple of uh, quarters. Uh, but going back to in terms of what commonality we have seen, uh, the big change is in the grocery market. Um, uh, I was there a brief a year or so in UK and I never needed a car and I never had to go to a grocery store. I mean, to a point where even five years ago, I was able to pinpoint and specifically say at what time I wanted my grocery to be dropped off at my doorstep. But then if I look at being here for like two decades in the US, that was never the case. Now, it just in the last you know two years or so, uh, the grocery adoption is, is a good indicator of how much adoption has changed, right? Uh, U.S. is at 45% plus. China is at 75, 70 or 75% plus. So uh, it, it, it is a transformation change in terms of that trend. The second thing is also about uh, buying online. And, and we always had this omni-channel scenarios, you know, buy online, ship to store. But just the fact that, uh, you know, pick up in store, like the, every retailer right now. And if you drive by uh, in North America, we see all the way from Home Depot's, Lowe's to Target's and Walmart's, which have a sign clearly saying, park your car and just call, right? Which is the BOPIS initiatives have been very, very successful. And then we tend to see that much more prominently continuing forward as well. You know, we used to always talk about some of the younger generations driving changes to digital strategy. You know, they're the early adopters of the new stuff. Um, but over the past two years, we've seen all generations, mostly out of necessity, embrace digital in ways they didn't before. Does that change the way that brands are planning for the future? 
I would expect so. And, and, and let me elaborate that in detail. If, if you look at uh, pre-pandemic, uh, there's obviously, you know, the, the Gen X, Gen Ys, and Gen Zs, right? Uh, and I'm the person who started my career where if I mean, I'm traveling, I used to spend two hours before, go to the, 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 the offices of our clients and have the front desk call a cat to go to the airport. Right? And then that sounds very strange to the set of audiences now who are basically literally you know, deciding five minutes before that they're going to go shopping or the fact that they're going to go to meet their friend and press a button and, and call a cab, uh, like an Uber or a Lyft. So uh, what traditionally has been uh, more of a Gen Z audience uh, and hence the adoption, uh, or at least you know, companies used to provide these services to Gen Z audience is much more prominently now to, across all audiences. Uh, uh, elderly, for example, if people who are about 45, 50 plus age audience never used to really care much about having the latest gadgets or being very uh, digitally savvy, but now there's no choice. The fact that uh, they're sitting at home and they would not be comfortable, especially in that age demographics to go to the, uh, to the store to pick up some groceries, they were forced to go do the shopping. The same thing with apparel, right? The same thing with uh, any of the needs on a daily basis. So, the moment you have forced adoption for about three, you know, two to three years, now all of a sudden coming out of pandemic, the demographics for you know, customers, for our customers is no longer just a Gen Z. It's all the way from baby boomers to Gen Z now, right? So uh, with that, the changes which I expect is uh, healthcare, for example, right? Healthcare audiences is never a 20-year-old, a 30-year-old. Healthcare is usually much more prominently engaged by you know, 50 plus uh, uh, age group folks, and they never really cared much rather than go specifically, you know, call a, a number to schedule an appointment and go see a doctor. But now, knowing that they have adapted uh, the much digital tool sets and the fact that they're very comfortable with this, um, um, with the adoption, maybe healthcare companies have to be a lot more um, uh, at cutting edge in terms of communicating and able to connect with their audiences and, and, and all the... Uh, for example, the lab work, the lab work was maybe a doctor calling them or a nurse calling them now could be published on a portal and that's more uh, prominently available to them. Uh, these are various examples I see where uh, the audience is not just a very young audience anymore. It's, it's across all age groups. Yeah, that's one of the things that's so cool about Emphasis is you guys work with such a broad customer base and things like healthcare and CPG and retail. And that's why I always uh, really appreciating hearing your point of view on these things. Uh, you know, obviously, as it relates to digital transformation, companies go through digital transformation for their own reasons. But to me, if I could oversimplify, one is to become more efficient using modern tools and technologies, but the other is ultimately to grow. Um, what can you share from, you know, the view of the boardroom kind of thing around what brands are thinking about as major growth levers on, on how they're gonna manage their business and one of the outcomes of the digital transformation engagement with Emphasis. Uh, it's, it's a very uh, uh, interesting one as we are quite recently having multiple conversations with global brands. Uh, and the, one of the big things is about uh, D2C, direct to consumer initiatives. Uh, and I'll give a, a very good example of why and how D2C is much more prominent now compared to before. Uh, a, a case in point could be a, a, a toy company could be, um, and again, when I take these names, not that, you know, we are having the discussions with that company. I'm just giving an example as a reference. It could be Mattel. Uh, it could be Hasbro, the toy companies. Um, and these companies used to have, obviously, Amazon has wiped them off in the first phase. 
there's no longer a Toys R Us or a Baby R Us to sell their goods and have that customer reach. The second wipe out was during the pandemic, where even the department stores, which used to sell toys, the footfall has drastically dropped, where the customers are no longer entering a department store. And what traditionally would have been walk through the aisles of grocery and end up in, in some section for the toys is no longer happening. The, the groceries delivered to home is a great example. Now, these companies have no, there's no element of you know communication or at least a, you know a, a view of the customer, and they have never established that. And we see a lot of those initiatives now in terms of how to reestablish that connect with the end customer directly rather than be back on this uh, other means of selling the goods. I love that you brought D2C into this. And that's obviously near and dear to, to our hearts at Digital River and our partnership with Emphasis. I'd love for you to talk a little bit about your Commerce 360 solution, which is very, very impressive and very, very differentiating. Um, it happens to be where the connective tissue between our two companies really sits. Uh, can you unpack that for the, uh, for the audience? What is Infosys Commerce 360? Absolutely. So uh, this the idea started around the pandemic where we realized that uh, there are digitally native companies uh, like the Netflixes, but there are also companies who had to really adapt to that uh, and they wanted a storefront solution quite fast. Uh, so we, we, we did quite a few of these initiatives and then we kind of took a step back and said, hey, by the way, now what is that we can do? How can we templatize this where all of the, the commerce storefront needs, if we can build some accelerators, tool sets, and get a storefront fast, right? Was the first step we've done that, which is what one component of the commerce 360 is, a storefront solution uh, with a lot of accelerators, integration touch points. Second is the bug doesn't stop at order capture, right? There's order fulfillment, order orchestration, and, um, and also merchant of record services. So we started bundling that aspect of merchant of record services, uh, payment gateways, and which is where you know we have partnerships with Digital uh, River as part of the solution. So now what we are offering to the market in partnership with one of uh, the top uh, e-commerce platform provider is what we call Customer 360. Uh, we are taking that to market with end-to-end offering in terms of all the way from we come in, we help you set up your product catalog, uh, we market it, uh, we put a storefront solution, right? And, and more importantly, we also fulfill it and all the unboxing experiences is something we offer, uh, and including returns as well, and the last, the last mile. So this is a holistic new solution. And now uh, the companies, especially it could be SMB, it could be medium-sized businesses, they can focus on the core business and be very agile and nimble and be innovative on the core business and leave the entire running of these operations to us. Yeah, that's excellent. I'd like to go a little deeper with you on that. Um... One of the reasons I'm super impressed by it is because I think there's a couple of factors that you're really playing into. Uh, the first is a lot of people are buying Shopify as a solution because it's so easy. It's all put together. They've made a bunch of choices for you. And the solution uh, kind of does what, at a base level, what a lot of brands need. But they, but they recognize that they probably have more robust needs in B2B and international uh, more control of the experience and assembling that is a very expensive thing to do traditionally for brands to go and buy. And so what I think you guys have done is basically created a package that makes something that enterprises need, something that enterprises can easily buy. Do you, do you kind of agree with my oversimplification? 
No, absolutely. In fact, that's one of the reasons where we we saw a market. Right? Uh, there is obviously you know the low end of the spectrum, Shopify, but the what Shopify can do or some products in that space can do is quite limited, and the needs are much more complex. It's it's different to just launch a storefront, but then it's a whole lot different story to kind of you know adapt and continue to grow on it as your customer base grows and it goes to beyond boundaries. And having that element of uh, complexity, which is traditionally not addressed by that entry platforms and usually addressed by enterprise platforms, but at the same time, having that simplicity offering and being a facade for, uh, for the brands is what we're doing. Yeah, exactly. And, I, and, and, I, and my Shopify is a great product. It's perfect for a small business who's trying to go fast. I think your points are perfect that enterprise businesses have enterprise requirements, and that means more payment types, more currencies, more trading patterns, more UI customization, more whatever. And that's, so you guys are really giving the enterprises something that they don't really have today, which is a way to buy an enterprise class solution with a simple package. Absolutely. Yes, spot on. Yep. And I think the other thing that's, that probably isn't as well appreciated unless you're actually in the trenches trying to solve this, but there's a massive war on talent for people with e-commerce expertise. And so to, to, to stand up an internal team with expertise across all of the functions, what it takes to really operate a, a good e- enterprise class e-commerce business is a challenge onto itself, let alone standing it up, operating it and running it, just the war for talent. So that has to be part of your story that let it be our, let it be our problem. We'll stand it up. We'll get it operational for you. And you don't have to basically fight that war. Uh, and, and you and and which is one of the biggest things which is going on right now in, in this space. And this war has started a few years ago. It's war for talent. Uh, and every organization, including uh, us, we struggle. But um, we have a very compelling solution. We are known in the industry. Uh, very prominently known to be in a, a university by itself, uh, right? So we, what traditionally might be a challenge of talent for uh, for customers, also in our competitors, is not a problem for us. So that proposition anyway have, and now we're able to use that talent, which is much diversified as well. Because if you look at an e-commerce platform, it's not just all the capture. You have the you know creative needs. You have um, you know front end engineers. You have back office engineers. You need cloud engineers, uh, and then also having the aspects of customer service uh, folks able to offer business process, uh, you know, DPM needs as well. All of that is anyway something we have as talent. Now we are essentially taking a platform, partnering with the platform, partnering with people like Digital River and getting all those bolt-ons into one single offering and, you know, what we call subscription as a service, right? We have been hearing that and we are offering commerce as a service. Fantastic. Yeah, thanks for spending some time with me on that. Um, I don't know how deep we want to go on the next topic, but it really has to do with some of the changing trends that are happening, some of the headlines we all read, uh, and it has to do with supply chain. And, you know, uh, a great digital strategy can't fix supply chain per se, but are there conversations that your brand or your company is having with brands around how to, how to optimize the inventory you do have, how to deal with pricing strategies, things along those lines to making sure that the brands are taking full advantage of the, the situation that they're in. Anything you want to comment around that? Sure, sure. Uh, and, and as you know, right, things of production delays is not something we can solve. Like the labor shortages is not something you can solve. All of these are, you know, the perfect storm. And leaving aside, you know, the challenges with the, with the, the ships being stuck uh, 
and of the core of the ports. Now, but what is that customer can do within their vicinity and right? within their you know uh, things which are within their platform within their outreach? Now, number one is about um, how do I ensure that I build some of these platforms and digital that in the event such uh, situation of you know uh, uh, production delays happen, I can have the flexibility and the agility in my digital platforms to spawn off new discussions with new suppliers and onboard them in a much faster time frame. Uh, that's a digital discussion, and that's something we have done with our customers. So, which is we we had to deal with it. We had, it is what it is. Uh, how can you become more? Be, how can you be more nimble and agile in terms of spawning off new partnerships? Number one. Number two. Now that also involves you know opening up your platforms to have open APIs, and and we speak about composable commerce is is a classic um, reason to have such platforms and not just because it's monolithic versus flexibility, but when disruptions like this happen, you can essentially adapt to that change in need, right? And you also mentioned about pricing. Uh, pricing is quite key as well, right? And, and inventory management, for example, if you tend to look at how you address um, an online order and maybe you tend to go to the nearest store to fulfill that online order. But if you have a much better digital strategy in terms of having the optimal uh, you know, inventory visibility, and then all of a sudden your store inventory sitting in Florida, in, in Jacksonville, which is not having any orders, can be the store fulfilling orders for uh, San Francisco or for Chicago, which is seeing a lot more traction. So having uh, the, at least, you know, optimal digital platforming and tooling capabilities is what you can do uh, in terms of controlling in, in that crisis, if not, solving the, the the ships being stuck in a port. Yeah, perfect. Thank you for uh, going going deep with me on that. Well, it wouldn't be a Digital River podcast if we didn't talk about going global. Um, obviously, there's only a few number of ways you can grow your, grow your revenue. Um, one of those main levers is reaching your customers wherever they are in the world. What does emphasis, can you share, shed some light onto the conversations that emphasis is having around global uh, and any any sort of takeaways that the audience might find interesting? Sure. And, and going global is not just about going and launching a business, right? It's also the nuances of the local country uh, tax implications or tax changes or finance um, implications or setting up a corporate entity. And all of those are challenges. And typically when, when companies want to go, go global, you, you tend to get, you know, get caught up on the complexities of that. So what we like to offer is you know, working with us, working with companies like Digital River who have these right partnerships in place. So the companies, when they go global, can they, be, they can be more focused on their marketing strategies, the nuances of culture and things like that, and leave the elements of uh, uh, the, the non-functional, I would say, requirements of the business to us. Uh, if you're a company uh, selling alcohol, Right, as simple as that. Um, these brands, uh, when they go to uh, South America market, for example, there's digital adoption, a lot more open. And then having that flexibility of a social commerce selling is a lot more prominent. But then if you go into a market like Asia, particularly India for the same brand, uh, the selling is a lot more uh, dependent on partnerships and through, uh, through retailers there. So the, the strategy around what works for one geo may not be working for the geo and also more importantly understanding your customer genome and build and, and building customer profiling and, and and strategies to base to that genome is what is important and i really 
I don't know if I've ever heard anyone describe it like that in terms of non-functional requirements of international expansion. I really think that's the heart of the matter. Um, you know, we talk to a lot of brands who spin up a, their, their dev team says, hey, we're ready to go global. I, I took the Stripe APIs and I wired it all up. Let's go. Only to have their CFO say, nah, I don't think so. Uh, we're not signing our company up for risk and liabilities and all of these new geos and subjecting the rest of our business to tax that we aren't currently paying or subject to. So it's really, it's really the non-functional requirements that can get businesses into a lot of trouble financially, <laughs> legally, culturally. Um, I'm going to have to use that. Uh, so thank you for giving me that, that nugget. Uh, this royalty fee, but I, I, I'll, I'll, wear, I'll wear that for you. So. <laughs> right on. Uh, hey, one of the things we like to do here is kind of share uh, in the wisdom of how people like you stay current. So who influences you? Who do you follow or listen to? How do you make sure you're on the cutting or bleeding edge of what's happening in our industry? So there's, uh, there's always a set of people you, you kind of tend to follow. Right? Um, uh, and I like to follow disruptors. Uh, and disruptors to me, at least in, in my current generation, I see Steve Jobs. Right? If not for the 2007 and the one last thing, he, you know, we introduced, they introduced iPhone. I don't, I'm not certain uh, when would it have been uh, that the time would have come to have this, that element of internet disruption, right? So uh, Steve Jobs is personally someone I'm a huge fan of and, um, and especially being very bold. Uh, and and if, in the current age of things, I'm a huge fan of uh, Elon Musk. Um, and I know uh, sometimes uh, his tweets can be uh, much different and uh, can be interpreted very uh, differently. And it's, uh, and there's a lot more of folks who have, have different point of views. But just the way um, he, he pushes the envelope on what is out of the possible. The fact that the reusable rockets was the fact, you know, that's the only way to cut down the cost and really cause disruption. And the way he does, he talks about the boring, uh, you know, the tunnels and how he, in fact, opened up the entire platform saying, I don't have time. Anyone else, I'm going to give you the blueprints. Uh, is fantastic and phenomenal, right? And so people like that are what I really follow and I follow very closely so that um, I don't have any limit. I mean, if I tend to form limitations in my mind, I look at them and see how they come up with innovative things and solutions and, and helps me push the envelope in my mind. Uh, and apart from that, uh, in terms of podcasts and, and some of these things, I am a huge fan of um, uh, uh, HBR, Harvard Business Review. It's a subscription I have been having for the last uh, um, year or so, and I made the best use of it. Uh, and it's so much diversified in terms of um, not just about technology. It talks about a human element of things. It talks about um, leadership. It talks about um, how do you, you know, do team building and how do you... Uh, build a company strategy. So it's much more uh, diversified and I really um, have been uh, quite very intensely following that. And apart from that, at least, you know, the economist is something which I use if, uh, I use it for the general, you know, social and, and knowledge and aspect of things. Excellent. Well, you'd expect a guy who works in digital transformation to, to really idolize or pay a lot of attention to people like Elon Musk. So that makes a lot of sense. That checks out. <laughs> Um, you know, we have a, a, a fairly diverse audience of listeners to our podcast, people who are in the e-commerce industry. Uh, if folks want to get in touch with you, what do you, what do you recommend? Is it LinkedIn? Is it follow you on Twitter? What's the best way to get in touch with you? 
I'm quite active on LinkedIn. Uh, Twitter is something I have, but I, for whatever reason, I, I've not been actively engaged. So LinkedIn is the best way to reach me. So. Fantastic. Well, I certainly encourage our listeners to reach out to Uday. I'm sure they're hiring. They're always hiring uh, e-commerce experts. And I'm sure they would love to talk to you if you are a, uh, a brand who's looking to solve uh, digital tra- transformation or direct consumer needs. Uh, Uday, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing some of your wisdom. I really love your experience and I, uh, I'm very appreciative of you sharing that with us. So Uday, thank you very much. Thanks, Jason, for providing a platform for me to share my experiences and, and I hope listeners can um, you know, listen in and see you know, what best uh, they can make use of it. So mm-hmm. thanks again, Stuart, for your time. You've been listening to the Commerce Connect podcast brought to you by Digital River and edited at Matriarch Digital Media in Minneapolis, Minnesota. To learn more, head to digitalriver.com.